Welcome to Casting Nets Live. I am one of your hosts, Pastor Will Harley. I am joined here with Pastor Dave Endorf. Say good morning, Dave. Good morning, Dave. <laughs> we are here. We are down one of our hosts. He will probably be joining us here on the chats as we continue to walk our way through uh, today. But Pastor Dave Rudant had a flat tire and was unable to get around and into the office. And so he's dealing with that. And so we, we ask the Lord to continue to be with him, give him patience as he manages that for his family. But today we have some uh, wonderful continuations of our study. So if you are just tuning in and you're new to the study, we have been dealing with what's the difference anyway. And we've been talking about some differences between um, the Christian churches and, um, and the world. So not only the differences within the Christian churches, but also the differences we have with, with many beliefs in the world. And as of late, we've been following a study of eight doctrines that divide the church. And uh, today's doctrine is going to be that of predestination. So the doctrine of predestination, it's going to be uh, controversial. It is going to raise the hackles. It is going to um, cause you to have many, many, many questions. And so we invite you to answer or ask those questions either through the chat or getting in touch with us in our congregations or sending us an email at castingnets pod at gmail.com or any way else that you can reach out and you can ask these questions. We are probably not going to hit every single point, mostly because this is a really long conversation and, and it has many, many, many facets to it. Um, and so we're going to try to hit the highlights um, and we'll try to do it justice and at least start the conversations to pastors having a conversation uh, about the wonderful doctrines that our Lord gives to us within the scriptures um, and the hope and comfort that we get from them. So before we move on, let's have a disclaimer. Would you like to lead us in that disclaimer? I would be happy to lead us in the disclaimer that we are not officially speaking for our, our congregations or the Wisconsin Synod, and that in particular this uh, doctrine has a, a lot of controversies about it that we would like to officially disclaim all heresies, whether we knew about them ahead of time or not. We, we don't agree with any of them. And so we're going to try to be very careful about what we say and, and what we don't say. And so if, uh, if it seems like we phrase things in a weird or an awkward way, it's probably because we're trying to say things in, in a way that the the word the church has worked it out over the the past two thousand years or so. But if you are offended by something, please get in touch with us, and we'll work it out. Yes, and uh, we specifically would ask that you get in touch with Pastor Rudot um, at Emmanuel in Shirley. He would love to work out all of the problems. Um, that that we cause for him. So, <laughs> so let's carry on with the show.
Welcome back. We are here gathered around our computers. We are on the Facey Book. We are being transmitted onto YouTube. We are even on X, formerly known as Twitter, all to bring you the controversial doctrine on predestination, also known as election. Um, before we get into the nitty gritty and we have an opportunity to share with you all of the ways that we in our human sinful nature get this wrong, we should probably um, have a safe approach of saying, let's just say what the doctrine is and, and let's, let's put it out there. This is the correct way to look at it. So to help lead us in the beginning of this conversation, Dave, Pastor Dave Endorf has decided that, you know what? We are going, he's going to be the leader in saying, this is what the doctrine is. So take it away, Dave. <laughs> so when, when we talk about the doctrine of election, we're talking about a doctrine specifically for believers that addresses God's plan of salvation, that before the creation of the world, God... <clears throat> worked out his plan of salvation. He, he knew his believers, the people he was going to save, and he chose them. And he, he planned to send Christ into the world to die for the sins of the world. He planned to send the Holy Spirit through the means of grace to work faith in their hearts, to forgive their sins, to to sanctify them and make them a part of the church, to watch over them all the days of their life until he would raise them up on the last day until he brought them to heaven. And so that is the doctrine of election. So as we look at that, there's a couple of things to emphasize, that this is something that comes from God's love from all eternity. It is something that applies to believers and, and that's the way we typically talk about it in the church. Uh, it is not something where we cause it. it. Its cause is solely found in God and in his love. And it is meant for our comfort to encourage and to, to build us up, that we know how much God loves us and has done for us. And so if you look at Romans 8, that whole chapter on election and, and God's love and salvation for us. The reason Paul can say all things work for our good is because God is ruling the world to get his message to the ends of the earth, to work faith in people's hearts, and to bring believers to the resurrection on the last day. And, and I would add, so you added Romans 8, and Romans 8 is, is, is wonderful. So if you're, as you're listening to this, want to open your Bibles up, if you have a Bible on an app, or if you want to use the actual uh, paper copy version um, of their Bible and open up to Romans 8, you certainly may do so. I'd also direct your attention to Ephesians 1 and, and go um, from 4 through 12. And that gives you a really good uh, basis on what we're talking about and, and how we are trying to approach it and use use the appropriate words once again, right, to to highlight what is going on without trying to step on both either side of the ditch uh, where, where, where we have a lot of people that, that kind of fall off in this area. So 
I would like to read from Ephesians uh, chapter 1, 4 through 12, just to, to give us a, kind of the scriptural background in, in this. And again, you can take it from Romans 8 as well. Paul's writing in both areas. So, I mean, this is, this is still Paul's words as he's fleshing this out for us. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 4, he did this when he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world so that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. He did this in accordance with the good purpose of his will and for the praise of his glorious grace, which he has graciously given us in the one he loves. In him we also have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in keeping with the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will in keeping with his good purpose, which he planned in Christ. This was to be carried out when the time had fully come in order to bring all things together in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have also obtained an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in keeping with the purpose of his will. He did this so that his glory would be praised as a result of us who were the first to hope in Christ. Um, so, not to take away anything from what Pastor Endorf said as, as a good, good approach to, here's how we're looking at election, you cannot have election outside of Christ. Um, and so, it is never, um, and this is, this is one of the reasons, I think, that, that we kind of go off the rails, um, humanly speaking, when we start talking about election. We, when you devoid election from Christ, um, and Paul does this beautiful job as he, he kind of establishes that, right? Even from verse 4, he says, chose us in Christ. Um, as he goes down, adopted through Jesus Christ. Um, I mean, he continues to bring us together in Christ uh, in verse 10. Again, you know, right, that we would obtain all of this. This is his purpose, that this would uh, be ours according to the plan. What was the plan? Christ to come, live for us, die for us, rise for us, um, and be there for us. So, so if you're looking at election and you're not bringing in Christ, you're, you're way off the idea of what election is to begin with. Um, because we are we are in Christ. This is the purpose. This is God's plan from all eternity. Christ dies for you. Christ dies for the world. Um, so here it is. Which also then brings up the opposite side, right? That if you're like, well, why aren't some saved? You know, uh, why? So you're saying, did God choose one or the other? Well, the answer is, if you are not in Christ, that's not God's fault. That's your fault because you've rejected Christ. And, and that also has to be a part of that. And, and so this is where we would point you to, you know, Paul's speech in Athens before the, the Areopagus in Acts 17. Um, you know, starting especially at verse 24. Uh, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as if he needed anything, 
since he himself gives all people life and breath and everything they have. From one man he made every nation of mankind to live over the entire face of earth. He determined the appointed times and the boundaries where they would live. He did this so they would seek God and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, indeed we are also his offspring. And so God's, you know, care and concern, you know, from the creation of the world apply to everybody. We don't normally talk about that, however, as the doctrine of election. But I bring this up to say that if somebody is not saved, it is not because of a lack of love on God's part. It is not because God rejected them before the creation of the world. It is solely their fault and their responsibility. Right. And, and I think that's, that is, so that, that gives you a good framework, um, dear listener, for, for you to kind of fall back on. And now when we said this before, this is the, the doctrine of predestination is a very beautiful and multifaceted doctrine. It, it just is. Um, and there's so much that you can talk about it and so many ways that you can approach it and so many uh, wonderful comforts that you get from it. But to, to highlight, first of all, as we said, this is God loves the world. That is very, very clear. God sent his son to die for the world. Very, very clear. Is it true that, that there are some who are saved and some who are not? That is also very, very clear. Um, but it is not God's fault that you are not. Now, that doesn't take away from God knowing who are his. And that brings up another conversation between foreknowledge, right, and, and God's predestination. Um, and so there, is, there, there are those things in there. What we want to give you is that this is a hope and comfort for the Christian. This is a hope and comfort for the believer. Um, does God know me? Yes, he does. Has God planned for me to be here? Yes, he has. Um, now, is it the time to start talking about some of the ditches that can be, <laughs> you can you can find yourself in as as we approach um, this understanding of of predestination, um, or do you think there's some more clarification that that we could use? Um, maybe a, as I say that, another place for you to go if you want a very good concise ordering of this is, is if you have a book of Concord. I would direct you to the Book of Concord. I'd direct you to the, the epitome of the formula and uh, Article 11, and that deals with exactly what we're talking about as well. Um, and that's a good, concise, here it is, just laid out in, in, a, in a form um, that you could probably easily follow and then also look at and say, here are the things we reject. So these would be the opinions that... That, that are the ditches on both sides that, that kind of we reject. So that would be a good place to go to. Any other things as, as we look at the document before we maybe look at some of those ditches that you can think of? No, I think that should give us a, a good foundation for, All right. for where the middle of the road is. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we don't like to drive in the middle of the road. Um, we like to to go and see the sights as we veer around. So um, veering around, this is, we're, we're now going to open up the floodgates and we're, we're going to probably um, have to really guard ourselves because the, it's a, such a multifaceted 
um, topic. One of the ditches is, is to really approach this idea of predestination in a way that's completely and utterly humanistic. Um, and the reason I say that is, is you, you remove, again, Christ from the picture, and we, we then start to say, okay, God has chosen me because, and we fill in the blank, with things we have done. So um, God has chosen me because I'm a good person. Uh, God has chosen me because I have done enough, right? I have, I, or I fill in the blank. I have done this many things. Um, God has chosen me because, well, he just can't damn everybody, right? Um, you know, I, some people I could see, but not everyone. Um, God has chosen me because, um, I teach the right things. I maybe don't believe, but I at least had said the right things, right? I went through the right motions. Um, those are those are all ideas that seem right to our natural way of looking at the world. So, if I live a certain way, if I do a certain thing, if I if I um, follow the rules, and I'm going to use that in quotes, if I follow the rules, then God will accept me, right? God will will have wanted me, and then we look at God and we say, well, because He's God. And we use the definition of God, and the definition of God is he's all-knowing, all-powerful, he has all these things. He already knew that I was going to do these things, and therefore, he, this is mine. About right? Well, that's what people say. It's <laughs> not at all correct. Exactly. It, and, and this is where, you know, in, in reading Scripture and, and looking at why God tells us he chooses things. You know, you, you look at first... Timothy, where, you know, Paul is very clear, uh, you know, uh, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And, and this is the way that God talks about his choices. He chooses the weak so that people look at them and know salvation is for everybody. And, and this is something that we as believers have to, to wrestle with, and we boast in, that, that you should look at me and say, if God can save him, he can save me. Sure. If God can use that guy as a pastor— you know, he can certainly save me. You know, and, and this is what he talks about when he, he says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That in God's plan of salvation, in his eternal economy, um, he gave it to sinners so that in a world where his glory and his greatness would be overwhelming, and crushing and destructive, we could look at weakness and say, yeah, God's got to be behind the church because otherwise it would have all fallen apart and know that, yeah, God is here for us. And, and that's where people who make this about us and who move the reason for God's election 
away from God's love and into our actions or our worth completely misunderstand the Bible, essentially, because they're missing out on you know, why God does what he does. Well, and it's interesting, you know, that in, in predestination becomes one of the topics that people want to talk about all the time. When, when, if you're, you're, you're going to go for outreach or if you're going to have a conversation with somebody about uh, church, it always, at some point, it boils down to this idea of predestination. Um, and you will have people who will focus, well, I'm a pretty good guy. Like, like we were saying, I'm a good guy. God must want me. Um, or they'll say, or, or they'll try to outright deny predestination at all. They'll try to deny election and say, you know, well, we won't know until the very end. And, and God doesn't know until the very end, almost that God is reactive. And, and as if he, you know, as things come up, God then quickly thinks ahead and says, how am I going to fix the problem? Um, and, and there's some of that too, where, where there's people who've approached the scriptures and like, you know, God planned out a perfect creation. God planned out everything to be great. And then Adam and Eve and go and muck it up because they fall into sin and God has to react as if he didn't know what was going to happen. And so he, he on the fly comes up with this plan now of salvation and, and how he was going to do this. And but that's again, against the scriptures, which clearly say from all creation, right? Um, Christ was planned to come and die. Um, and then the opposite side of that, that, that becomes, well, then God knew he set us up for failure. Um, that, that really he must predestine everyone. It doesn't matter if they know Christ or not, because it's not my fault that I sin. It's not my fault that I do bad things because God set us up to fail. God knew with that tree in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve were going to fail. He knew what he was going to do to take care of it, and he let it happen. And so it's not my fault. And so the opposite side of, of this conversation when you talk about election and predestination is, well, God, you know, I'm part of your elect because I can be nothing other than what I am because of the sin that, that you allowed to happen. And you knew it was going to happen anyway. And you let it happen. Now, the problem with those things, if, if you're listening, now you're saying God is the orchestrator of evil. <laughs> that that God, is, God is the one that, that is planning evil just so that he can be good that how that would work that he plans evil so that he can come out looking like the good guy and that's not scripture either so you're left with the reality of things that are almost paradoxes pushing against each other and that is god knew we would fall into sin and and ultimately that's where predestination comes in because it 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 walks this middle road of saying um yeah, you are going to be sinners. And and God could have have done things otherwise, you know, in creating a different world, but then you wouldn't exist. And right. God loved you. Right. And he knew you would be a sinner. And so in Christ as as you were talking about, he decided you know, among the Trinity, that he would come up with a plan of salvation that involved both you and the sacrifice of Christ. 
and, and this is where um, we can be thankful, you know. Um, and, and and so a lot of the world, and this I guess not world, but the you know modern evangelical Christian um, uh, apologetics wants to go with the free will defense when when sure. dealing with the problem of evil. You know that that God just stands back like you were talking about and and responds to us because he wants to give us a free will and and makes God very passive in that sense but God doesn't feel the need to defend himself that way it's God defends himself by saying I'm God you don't get to question me first of all yeah and he yeah how do you answer that (laughs) (laughs) you don't and then second of all by saying um, it, you guys are the ones who sin and fall short of the glory of God and that's what you were going to be but I still loved you and so I sent my son to die for your sins and I knew what you were going to be I knew what you were going to do and so I fixed it not by creating a different world but by dying for you right. and so which solution do you want God to have chosen from eternity the one where you don't exist or the one where Jesus dies for you. And it's interesting that you bring up that idea of, of um, because that is his foreknowledge, right? God knows what is going to happen and how it will play out. But we have to remember that that, that ability of the Lord to know his omniscience does not force something to happen. And that's a really hard concept for us to, to wrap our, our, our minds around. So in other words, did God know that Adam and Eve were going to fall into sin? Yes. Did he make them do it? No. That that was and that was the only time in in all of human history where mankind had free will. <laughs> we they had the ability to not sin. They didn't use it, that ability. They fell to sin. But but at that time, at that moment in the garden, they had the ability not to sin. And and if we're gonna talk about and think we were getting into free will, but okay. So if we're gonna talk about free will, you, you then also have to talk about you know the the context in which a person is exercising that free will, the circumstances. Sure. You know, because people will then move on to say, well, if God had created Adam and Eve in different circumstances, you know, maybe he could have created them in different circumstances where they wouldn't have sinned, you know, and so they'll talk about entrapping Adam and Eve by putting the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in with them. And, and, and there's a bunch of issues with that, but, you know, the, the next obvious problem with that is, okay, but then where would I be? Um, because again, you're creating a different world where I don't exist. Right. And the this next problem with that is, um, you know, when God, in talking about sin, points out that, uh, you know, just because there isn't a specific law, if they are still rebelling against God, that's still a sin. You know, and the first sin that Adam and Eve break is unbelief. And, and 
rebelling against God. And it's really eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that makes it clear, that establishes to everybody, we are sinners. We have done it. And, and so we can be thankful for the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil because it does make it clear, hey, look, they did sin. They did exactly what God told them not to do. And it would have been so easy not to do it. You know, if, if it were just simply a sin in their own heart, that would be very confusing. Well, and and I and and I know you don't want to get necessarily and go down the rabbit hole of free will because that's a, another long and sordid conversation, but but I do think it plays into this idea of predestination and the beauty of it, in the simple reason that that from the moment we fell, we lost that free will. We are now bound. We in a bound will where we we always sin. That that is what we do. And the fact that the Lord, as you've been saying so beautifully, the fact that the Lord had in mind us and is to, to save a sinner like you and a sinner like me, to, to save a sinner like the world and people in the world, that the fact that he had in mind those people is, is just a, a, a humbling and wonderful thing that he loved them even while they were sinners and, and he dies for them in time for you. And he planned to do that. That, that was, that was in his plan because he knew what we would be and, and he planned for it. Um, there's a beauty to that. There, there is a, and this is why the doctrine of predestination is for believers, right? This is the beauty God planned for you. Yeah. And, and so when we talk about the doctrine of, of free will, when it comes to the predestination, you know, what we want to keep in mind is that, um, you know, that's in our relationship with God. You know, we're not going to all of a sudden decide, oh, wait, God isn't my enemy. He loved me and sent his son to die for me because we don't have that power or that ability. When we're talking about our free will, when it comes to purely earthly things, you know, that's something Lutheran theology, theologians never really consider to be important. And, Earthly and don't things? talk about. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah. and that's not really something that um, comes up a lot in our discussions of, of free will. But that's one where in modern discussions of free will, that's what they focus on all the time. Right. And that's where a lot of you can end up with a, a cross. You're talking past each other right. a lot, and, and that, and I think that that yes, it is it is something to be said that that you have a modicum of freedom in your choices in in things under you, as what the, the theolog Lutheran theologians would say, in in things that are that are under your authority, right? You have a modicum of free will. Um, I still would say that 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 is relatively bound. I mean, I can't go into Subway and order steak and potatoes because they don't serve steak and potatoes. Um, so <laughs> whether I want to do that or not, I couldn't do that. Um, again, that might be because I don't have any authority over what Subway provides, <laughs> so I, I, I can't control that. Um, but, but when it comes to things higher than us, things that are outside of our control, which would be our, our spiritual home, where we will be when this life is over, um, when it comes to 
when it comes to who am I as a sinner and how God will see me, I have no control over that. And, and that must remain in a realm and under the, the control of someone else, i.e. our Lord, or the, the God uh, who has given all things for us. A beautiful question and that was brought up. Do you have something to say before I go to the question? Yeah. Um, sure. And, and I'd, I'd like to add here that in the doctrine of predestination, even the things that are under our control are elevated. You look at what Paul says, you know, all things work for your good. You know, the, the, and so the proper understanding of Christ ruling the world at the right hand of the Father reminds us that, yeah, he is working to spread his gospel to the ends of the earth. And he is working to bring everybody to all of his children to the resurrection on the last day. And he will lose none of those who have been entrusted to him. And so, you know, the believer looks at a, a flat tire on a Thursday morning and says, God, you know, the flesh want me to hates be... this, but yeah. God will bless me. And so yeah. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And we have peace and hope and, and joy as, as we deal with it. And or, that is something when you are messed up on free will and predestination, sure. you can't say because it all falls back on you then. Or it's just the Lord's like, we didn't want Pastor Rudat to be a part of this conversation. We want to see if they can get off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can. Yes, we can. Um, going to, uh, so we were talking as we were talking about free will and we we're talking about predestination. We we're talking about why this is such a hope and comfort for the believer. A question came along um, on, on the messenger and that is uh, we hit on something when we said we always sin because it, it came to, or uh, our listener came to realize that our definition of sin and the definition of sin of other Christians isn't the same. Do you want to make a comment on that? Um, I, I think she hits on something here, our, our listener, as, as so beautifully as she puts, you know, I, I don't think people understand a sin of omission. Um, that, that by us not doing certain things, not just doing things that are wrong, but us not doing things that are right, we're also sinning. Yeah, absolutely. And that also has to do with, you know, for the right reasons and, and in the right way, within the, in the right spirit. Right. You know, do you do it as joyfully as you should? Do you do it praying constantly as you should? And so all of those things have to be there. And if they are not, you are sinning. Right. And, and, and so when God says pray continually, he means it. When he right. says rejoice in the Lord, he means it. And so. And when he know, says even, to love your neighbor as yourself, he means it. Not do things for your neighbor because I love God and hate you, but I'm doing it because I love God. Well, you just sinned. Love your neighbor. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, and all of this, were, and, and it seems as if, like, we went off the rails, but it doesn't, because all of these things do come into this doctrine um, of predestination, this doctrine of election, that, that God did elect us despite ourselves, um, and he's worked on our behalf despite who we are, and he, he knew who we were going to be. Now, kind of moving us along in that direction, there, in, in many denominations— um, and I hate to say it, even in Lutheran denominations, we have gotten this doctrine wrong. I mean, grossly wrong. Um, and so I think that it, it, might, it might benefit us to come through and, 
and just kind of read some of the warped Christian views that that um, Christian denominations have. And I'm not going to—in some ways, I might highlight, okay, this is predominantly a Reformed thought or th- something like that. But I, but I think it's it's one of those things where we have to be honest and say there are some Lutherans too— um, and well-intentioned Lutherans who might think in some of these ways because this is a hard doctrine, and it does divide the churches. So here's our number one on, on some warped Christian views um, that uh, uh, are out there. So God foresaw how people would behave and decided everyone's fate before creation. So explanation, to many Christians, the game is already over. We would say, according to Augustine and according to Calvin, God declared that some would be saved and some would be damned, and the choice was made solely based on the internal working of the Godhead. Others believe that all have been predestined, but that they think that God looked ahead to see how people would live or if they would believe before making his assignments. These people believe how one lives today was foreseen by God and may have influenced him. And I, I that both of those ideas are interesting because one was a Lutheran idea. Um, and that one's the, the last one where they were thinking that God foresaw how you would live. And that was um, uh, the controversy that was in the early, late 1800s, early 1900s, wasn't it? in the Lutheran Church, in, in, intuita fide, in view of faith, was the big controversy where, where um, many, many Lutherans, Lutheran theologians and Lutheran congregations were saying, God knew that we would come to faith, therefore he predestined us from all creation because he knew we would, we would come to faith. Well, well that's actually um, the, the way, it, it's something that comes out of the Lutheran theologians from the 1600s. Oh, it goes that, that far back too. Yeah, and they, sort of, because they kind of use the, they don't mean it that way. But um, they use the they use that word in view of faith. It, yeah, um, but they definitely do not mean it that way, and they definitely don't mean it as far as how you would live. Um, it, it's much more of what you're talking about in Christ that God was gonna save you in Christ as, as part of his plan of salvation in faith. Um, but it gets warped. It does get warped. And then in the, the early 1900s, um, you, you have that God saved you because he knew you were going to believe. And so it's not because he loved you, it's because he knew you were going to believe. And Which... so it goes... Which makes that which makes that a problem on both sides, right? Because it's not only a problem on on a misguided view of of election and predestination, but it's a misguided view on um, belief. Belief becomes an action we perform as opposed to a gift that is given and worked in us. So, so you really have a a messed up theology on both sides uh, of those doctrines. Oh yeah, yeah, and. And so let's be clear, God saved you because he loved you. And and that's what gives us comfort as we look at the world and as we take 
heart in knowing that that we're sinners sure. and that God loves us and, and blesses us and we deal with the evil in this world. If it were based on our own faith and how much we believe, you know, that's either going to turn to arrogance. Oh, of course, God saved me. Look at how great a believer I am. Or it's going to turn to despair because I, I question God and I waver in my faith and I doubt and I, I worry. And so we don't want to, to go down that path for the, in, in our teaching for the sake of the people we're teaching, but also because it, it takes glory away from God. That, that we're down denigrating his love. We're tearing down his love. So <clears throat> that's kind of the Lutheran um, ditch that some people had walked in. One of them, yeah. One of the, yeah, one of them. Um, interestingly enough, though, uh, and, and maybe I'm I'm overthinking this, but but Augustine and Kelvin kind of falling on the side of God has already declared some who will be damned and others who will not be um, from all eternity. Kind of this double predestination, right? This idea that God chose some and and not others. Um, in fact, he went beyond that. He said, I'm going to choose you and I'm going to damn you specifically. Um, I find that, and, and maybe this is just my own internal head, I'm finding, I find that the reform lean towards the acceptance of this and are okay with this, because of their leanings towards uh, pushing forward the sovereignty of God over the grace of God. Yeah, and, and, and well, and there's kind of a cause and effect question there. Is, is Does double predestination lean towards them, lead them to accept the sovereignty? Or, sure. But here they are locating that decision and the reason for the decision of double predestination in God's sovereignty. And you're making God to be this kind of arbitrary monster that you just have to accept, you know? And, and, and so you have to just accept his choice however you feel about it, because he is God and you are, are not. Right. And he has and, the power to say yes or no. Yeah. And, and to some extent, you know, that's true. You look at what God says to Job. Brace yourself like a man. Where were you when I created the world, when I laid the sure. foundations of the earth? But that's only the first step, you know, because we have a God who is not just sovereign, but who then made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and humbled himself even to the death, even to death on the cross. Yeah. And that's where the doctrine of predestination finds its pinnacle that he he from eternity knew he would die for all of our sins the ones that we know we've committed the ones we will commit and, and the ones we don't even understand yet right and isn't that and doesn't that the way that you're phrasing it so beautifully and, and it is a very beautiful way to phrase it it, it really highlights what Paul says again in, in Ephesians, that it is in love. It is not in his power. It's not in his sovereignty. It's not in, uh, predestination is not rooted in, in him showing his, his authority to make decisions, but in his grace poured out upon people. That, that's really the root 
Yeah. And and we don't want to lose his sovereignty. Right. He is God. We we fear, love, and trust in God above all things. But the high point of his plan of salvation, the the high point of the doctrine of election, is that the choice was made in love. It is not random. He loves you. Sure. So hopefully that that gives you a kind of an introduction. So we just would broad sweeping strokes uh kelvin who kind of is the leader uh that branched into the mainline reformed congregations um and and then even right out of the gate yeah lutheranism has had issues too um so we had two cases there so there are some christians that um believe this and and i think we both would push back on this greatly but i'm going to read it anyway and then if you'd like to add your comments you certainly may do so uh god created man without sin we would say true God created man to be perfect, even though he knew that man would sin. We would say, true, in fact, he had to sin. Well, I'm going to go with false. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so we were with him right up until the point where, like, in fact, he had to sin. Yeah, that's not—that makes God into into this, you know, um, egotistical— type of being that's like, I have to, they have to sin so I can step up and be the savior. And I, and it's almost like that hero complex. Um, and, and that is not the case in scripture at all, but there are Christians that have believed this, that we had to do this so that Christ could come and die for us. This had to happen. I had to be a sinner. Um, and that's not the case at all. Yeah. And, and, and so as we talk about it, you know, we want to be clear, there was nothing lacking in God that he needed Adam and Eve to sin. You know, he knew they were going to sin. He knew he would need to send Christ to die for their sins, to die for my sins and, and, and your sins. But that's for our sake. It's not for his. Right. You know, the only right. thing he gets out of the deal is death. sinners. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's how we know it's love. Yeah. And a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. And, and yeah. he had to suffer hell for us. Um, so uh, moving on then. So here's another warped Christian view. Uh, man sinned as God had planned and received God's judgment of death and damnation. Man acted out his role by sinning, and God followed through on condemning all mankind to eternal punishment. See, and this is where we got to be careful about what do you mean by planned? <laughs> you know, um, or it, acting it or the role or, or that yeah. idea of role. Yeah. And, and, and so this isn't something God wanted. You know, God knew the people. He knew they were going to do it. And so it's something that he had planned for. He knew it was going to happen. But uh, again, he he only planned it insofar as he loved the people and wanted to save them. And and so that's where we would draw the line. Well, I think it also, I think it also, it, it um, confuses, I think the idea of when we say that God from all eternity planned to send his son, we look at that and we say, okay, this was a general who was, is planning ahead here. uh, Here's how I'm going to conduct the battle. And, and I don't know if that's necessarily the, the picture you want, 
um, because that's where this falls into place, right? This is how I'm going to conduct the battle. Therefore, everything is going to fall into the way that I wanted it to, to, to play out. Whereas opposed to saying God planned it for all eternity, he knew this was going to happen, so this was his response. Yeah. And and I think it's like planning ahead, we would say, right? Do you yeah. have a plan for the future? And, and And what we always want to keep in mind is the only thing that makes it a necessity is that God wanted to save us. Right. You know, and and so if God had 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 once decided, no, I don't want to save them. It it would not have been a necessity. He would not have needed to send Christ. He he could have changed anything in a million infinite number of ways. Yeah. But he wanted to save us. And if he didn't so love he, his creation, he could have just wiped it out at any yeah. point or why create it to begin with. And, and so it, it's then it is, you know, the consequences of our sin that he is planning for. It is in sure. response to us. And that's what we always want to keep in mind. Sure. Yeah. And, and also avoid the trap of, of ever thinking that God originated evil, that, that, that he was the orchestrator of that. Um, moving on then. So, uh, God promised a savior. God promised a savior who would provide the way for salvation that people needed because no one could save himself. What do you think? I feel like another shoe's going to drop. <laughs> That's actually all that was there on the, sh- on the sheet from the, from, um, the Bible study that we're, we're kind of walking our way through. Actually, that's not a bad, I don't know how warped that is. That's, that's kind of true. Um, God promised a savior. That's true. Um, he would provide the way to the salvation. Also true. Um, and I suppose that if you're saying that we needed to fall into sin so that this promise could be, <laughs> um, seen, then I would say uh, that would be false. Um, but it is true that that God promised that He would take care of our mistake. So, um, again, how far do you want to push this? Um, would be dependent on how warped you're going to be as a Christian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, number five. So God eventually sent a savior. Uh, eventually, God sent the savior and did. Uh, and he did what was necessary to save those that God chose for salvation. Jesus may or may not have died to atone for the sins of those who are lost, depending on whether one agrees with Calvin or one of his uh, detractors. So what do you think? I, I disagree with limited atonement. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And, and that's the wonderful thing about you know, how we get to do outreach is it, it doesn't matter who you're talking to. You can tell them Jesus paid for all of your sins when he died on the cross. Yep. We get to give them an object in which they can believe the, the life, death and resurrection of Christ. And, and that's something that a Calvinist, a reformed theologian can't. Right. Because they look at that and they say, well, I, I can't make sure that he did die for you he, he may not have died for yeah. your sins you may yeah. not be a part of the elect yeah and you could be going to church all your life and may not be there um yeah. you know, what great hope that is yeah let's let's do that um 
Whereas, no, we can definitely say Christ died for you. Um, yeah. So, um, awesome. So, six, uh, people hear about the Savior. They respond as they are programmed to do. So here's, here's the, the explanation on that. A conversion is an act of God. Only those who will be saved are converted. Even if others hear the message, they can never really believe. Each does as he or she is pre-programmed to do. And, and that's, the, that's the irresistible grace that is a, a part of... Um, The tulip theology, Calvin, right. strict Calvinism, and 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 we would object to that both because of of the confusion of the doctrine of election, but also because God makes it clear that you can resist, um, you can resist the Holy Spirit. Right. You know, right. you look at Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And we got a, a note under the in the chat about using this as an excuse for wayward children. And yeah, it absolutely is. It's they were just never gonna believe anyway. And, well, and that that I think is gonna become more and more um I hate to say it this way, but I think with with as our congregations become older and older, um, this way of thinking, although they may not express it, this way of thinking almost starts to creep into our older congregations, right? Um, where, well, we don't really have to go out there and and preach and teach, and we don't have to go out there and do missionary work and evangelism because, well, if if God wanted them, they would already be here, right? You know, they they would they would already be finding us if if they were meant to find us. Um, and that must not have happened. So we're going to, we just don't have to do that kind of work. Um, yeah, it, it can lead you down some really bad roads when you start thinking. And then you also start thinking, you know, you know, if I'm, if, if the things that I do in life are all this pre-programmed, again, I don't have to be responsible for them. And that's the, that's the other side of that, that belief is that I'm just doing what God made me to do, which not to be overly controversial and, and, and enter into a whole different subject. But isn't that kind of what people are saying in the LGBTQ circles in the, uh, I'm sorry, LGBTQ plus minus circles, the trans uh, gender kind of movement, you know, God created us this way. And, and so I'm pre-programmed to do this and, and that makes it okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hopelessness. You just give up, and and however things are is how they're meant to be, and and just right. accept it, and right, you know, and and you contrast that with the life we get to live as Christians. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Right, that God's going to bless our work as part of His eternal plan of salvation. It's going to bear fruit according to His good and gracious will, and so we do outreach. Because we know about right. predestination and, and that God blesses things and we get to be a part of it. And how amazing is that, that we get to share this message with people and that we get to tell them, look at how much God loves you and has done for you. And, right. and this is amazing. And, and, 
And here's baptism. I don't deserve. Yeah, there's baptism. <laughs> I don't. I don't deserve to tell you this. Yeah, I know me. I know what I've done. Yeah, I get to and, throw and the water I, though. What's that? I get to throw the water. <laughs> I get to throw. I use a squirt gun. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. when the lightning hits the church in Brooklyn Park, you'll know. <laughs> But no, this is, but that is so true, right? You get to be a part of something and, and, and some of these warped Christian views, it removes you from that of being part and parcel to, to God's hand in his work of showing the elect and his work of, of claiming his souls uh, for his kingdom. And you get to be a part of that. And when you start confusing some of these things, you lose that part that you get to play. Um, and in, in the work of serving one another in the love of Christ. Our final one here for, for our time that we're going to take a look at, um, since we so wonderfully kind of explained ahead of time this whole doctrine of predestination, and we've been carrying it all the way kind of through, uh, the last one we want to look at here is, after this life, God carries out his predetermined decision. When people appear before God for judgment, the verdict is already prepared and signed. The saved had to be saved, and the damned had to be damned. It was God's will from eternity. So what would we say to that? Uh, first, I don't agree. <laughs> Just wanted to make that clear. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and we would say that it's not biblical, you know, because God would have all people to be saved. Yeah. And that's what God once that's God's will that he makes clear and so at at judgment day you know God God is going to open up the books and and he's going to read out his his judgment and everybody's going to confess that it's righteous and holy and, and and that'll be it yeah, and it seems to me, to me, I find this uh, just just a beautiful thing, um, when the Lord refers to the books that are opened, um, in in places such as Revelation and places such as Daniel, there's always one book of life. There's not multiple books of life. It's just one, and then the books that contain all of the crap that we have done, all the horrible things <laughs> that we have done. That's many books. But but what matters is the one book of life, and in, in, in which uh, our name is written in the blood of Christ. Um, how awesome that is! So, yeah, yeah, yeah this is you're not pre the the preordained decision doesn't come down on judgment day. This is from all eternity. God has chosen you in Christ. This is His love, dear Christian. Take comfort in this. Um, and if you are listening to this and you're struggling. You know, this is, you're not alone. <laughs> People have struggled with this um, since the church began because we are trying to dive into a, a hidden mystery of our Lord, and he only gives us enough to take hope and comfort. And, and the rest of it, we have to say, Lord, you know what you're doing, and you know what you have done, and we know what you continue to do as you give us Christ um, and, and work in our lives. So, Take it for what it is. It is a doctrine of comfort. This is not supposed to be a doctrine of, of okay, I guess I'm not one of the elect. I can live my life the way I want. Or um, a doctrine of, well, I got to live better because I got to prove that that I have been chosen. This is 
no, pure comfort for you that, that God knows you and has called you in Christ. Any other final comments that you might have to, to lead them out? Just that as God teaches the, the doctrine of predestination, it, it's the, the doctrine that can only come from a, a resurrected Savior who died for our sins because he is there to save us thoroughly. And, and so he has taken away all of our sins and, and he uses all things for our good. And it, it's not just about on the last day you get to go to heaven. It's about every day of your life, he's there with you. Everything he uses for your good, and he's always with you in all things. And he's always ruling the, the world. And that's what Romans 8 is, is really all about, that there's so much we don't see, so much we don't understand. But because we do have a living God and a living Savior who has been in charge of everything from beginning to end, we have hope in everything, big or little. And that's what we trust in. And there you have it. So thank you for listening and joining us for Casting Its Podcast as we look at the doctrines that divide the church. Um, Next week, we have an opportunity to gather around. Um, We're coming close to the end. We were on number six today. So for number seven, it's Holy Communion. We get to take a look at uh, the sacrament of communion next week. So we invite you to join us uh, for that on Thursday. We invite you also to come back on Tuesday and we'll have Beyond the Sermon where we are are kind of looking at the second Sunday in the season of Lent. And so we ask you to join us for that as well. Until then, may God richly bless you, dear elect chosen in Christ. Take comfort in that knowledge and thank you for joining us. 